0: The end of all things is near, therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint, as each one has received a special gift employed in serving one another as good stewards stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in God, I pray that these would not just be words that we sing that we would live our life for you, but you'd help us to do that. We know we fail in many areas. We thank you for your strength. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love, and we pray that you'd help us to learn of you, to learn what you require of us, and that, Father, it would be practical in our life, not just theology, but, Father, something that we're able to use and minister to the body of Christ for the glory of God. Thank you for this opportunity to study in First Peter, and once again, ask for your guidance and direction in our study. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. We've entitled this message this morning, Fervent Love Looks Like This, Looks Like This. As we have been here in First Peter chapter 4 for a little bit, uh, in this particular section, we saw that we have learned in the book that we are aliens. We are here to live on earth, but we're citizens of heaven if we have trusted in Christ. And that is only those who have trusted in Christ that can truly claim that, that we are citizens of heaven, but here, left. And we are anticipating uh, that at any time, really, imminently, we could be accountable before God. Uh, I've been visiting a number of people, uh, even in our church, that are in, and Rita was one of them, who I visited a week ago, and little did we know, within a week she would be in the presence of God and giving an account. So how should that affect us? We all talk about how fast time goes by, how quick life goes by, and should it affect us if we really believe, not just sing that the Lord's coming again, and not just sing that we're going to stand before him, and not just believe in such things as the rapture uh, or the return of Christ, Uh, But should it affect us? And the answer is yes, obviously. And we've learned in the beginning here, personally, it should affect us individually that we are to have clear thinking. And it's a good reminder for us to go back and see this. But we ought to have clear thinking in the midst of all the chaos that certainly is going on in our world, in our nation, and things that are happening all around us. We are to keep clear thinking. We ought to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. We ought to be sober not controlled by anything else but the Spirit of God, and it ought to drive us to consistent prayer and uh, have a good prayer life. Toward believers is where we are now. That's personally. That should be in each one of our lives as we're anticipating, standing before the Lord. But we should also have ways that we treat the body of Christ. It should affect us. And this is something that every local church, I believe, around the world needs to really get a grasp on is this section of 1 Peter. Because if we really believe that Christ is coming, it should not only affect us in our personal life, but in our personal life to members of the body of Christ. And we saw and have expounded that in verse 8, and you can look at it, the priority, where it says above all, the priority is fervent love. Not just love, and not just talking about love. And I don't know of many Christians that don't talk about love. And whether they exercise it or they don't. But the scriptures say the priority is not just love, it's fervent love. And what does it look like? Uh, Before I, well, let me just repeat what the verse says first. It says, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. There again is directed to the brethren. Because love covers a multitude of sins. What does it look like? Well, if it's fervent love, it will cover a multitude of sins. I want you to turn to a passage before I even summarize that section again. Go with me to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes to help you with the Old Testament and to find it. Psalms is pretty easy to find. So whether you have a computer right now, and you're already there, or you're turning the pages, I want you to go to Ecclesiastes in chapter 7, I want all of us to see this, Solomon, who by God's words was given wisdom that no one ever had, no will have, beyond his days, so I would put that as the wisest man who ever lived or ever will live, uh, when God gave him that wisdom, And he is most probably the one that's the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes. And he said this, and it ties into this idea of covering a multitude of sins. I'll pick it up in verse 19 of Ecclesiastes, but I really want to get to two verses there. It says, wisdom strengthens a wise man more than 10 rulers who are in a city. Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth Who continually does good and who never sins. That's the first thing I want you to say. There is not a righteous man on earth. Sometimes we think people ought to be that way. In goodness, because we want to be that way. And we have high, high expectations. But we forget that there is not a righteous man who does good and who never sins. And that is true of believers. But I want you to catch the next two verses. Also, Do not take seriously all words which are spoken so that you will not hear your servant cursing you. Solomon says basically here that don't listen to everything that comes along. And take personal offense and he tells you why in the next verse. Look carefully. For you also, yes you have realized that you likewise have many times cursed others. You say, I haven't cursed anybody. What's that saying? That's the very practical application of what we've been learning. We want to take things personal, and we never let them go, because it's been done to us, and we forget that many, many times... We have talked about others and we have done things and we are no more righteous than the person that we will not let things go from. And we forget how much Christ has forgiven us. That is the practical application and the finish of what I was talking about in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. That is what fervent love is like when it says it covers a multitude of sins. And I explained last week, this is not dealing with serious sin that needs to be confronted and disciplined. But is really dealing with the hurts that come to me. The hurts that come to you that we never let go or never let anybody forget about. And we forget that we've done that to others and we've forgot about all the people we talked about. And we forgot about all the things that we've done and we're hoping those people aren't holding those things forever because if they are, we'd be the first ones to say they just can't get over it when we can't. And so that's how fervent love really works. Fervent love really works in a way in that the hurts that it caused to me, and I put it in practical terms I hope last week, Number one, it accepts the faults and weaknesses of others. It realizes that, you know what, God forgive them for that because I've done the same. And while it hurts, and it hurts deeply, and it does, I need to let it go. And I'm not trying to sing a song. Okay? For you young people. (laughs) Some of you older people, that went right over your head. Okay. But when it comes to me, those hurts, I need to let go. So it accepts the faults of others and weaknesses. And what does it mean by it says it covers a multitude of sins? I use these terms again. It covers, it stops, and it suppresses. It suppresses the problem. It doesn't want it to continue. Why? For the sake of the body of Christ. It will not get involved in gossip, backbiting, or dissension. And as I said last week, if we're honest, we are all, every one of us in this room, guilty of it. We don't want to admit that we are, but we are. And so if I really have fervent love and I'm really anticipating Christ, by God's strength and by God's help, when those hurts come my way, I will feel them, then they are real, but I will cover a multitude of sins because of the glory of Christ. In other words, what we said is we will look at the bigger picture, we will look at the Lord's work, and the more important thing is the unity of the body of Christ. So that's number one. Number one, in the top priority that Peter says, as we function as a body among ourselves, we ought to see that above everything else we're to keep a fervent love, and if we have fervent love, not just talk about love, we will cover a multitude of sins. So I would ask myself this question and ask you this question To ask yourself and be honest without speaking out loud are there things that you are holding on to that have happened to you personally that you even still talk to others about and continue to hear others to talk about and you continue to do it and you really believe you are fervently loving or i am fervently loving we're not but we will be when we have that attitude And that is to be a priority. So the next time a hurt comes to me, I need to evaluate that and say, if that's not worthy of discipline, you know what? I've done that too. God, forgive them, and I need to let it go for the sake of the body of Christ. That's what fervent love looks like. Now we get into the second. In verses 9 through 11, we have other actions or believers Uh, other actions, excuse me, are behaviors that we ought to have toward believers so that we will see what fervent love looks like. And the first one was that we will cover a multitude of sins. We won't repeat them. We won't continue to fester that argument. We won't continue to have our enjoyment with it as we put others down. Secondly, I'll put it to you this way, and then we'll look at it, is in verse 9. It is what I call friendliness. I just put it in the word friendliness. What is it? Verse 9. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. Peter says, in anticipating the coming of Christ, we ought to do something that's contrary to what we want to do. Again, we don't want to cover a multitude of sins. We don't. We want to repeat them. And we don't want to let them go. We don't want to really be friendly. You say, yeah, I'm a very friendly. I want to be that way. Well, let's talk about it a little bit. What does it mean when he says that we ought to be hospitable one to another? The meaning of the word is to love strangers. We are to, in anticipating Christ's return, to love strangers. Now, what does that mean? Well, first of all, it is speaking of believers, not unbelievers. It's not talking about just the guy on the street it's walking down that we don't know and we want to be a lover of that person down the street. How do you know that, Pastor Dan? The context. Look at verse 8. Verse 8, love for one another. Verse 9, be hospitable to one another. Verse 10, as each one of you has received a, a gift, special gift, employ it in serving one another as good the whole point that Paul has moved to, if you remember in this context, is the relationship among believers. So when he's talking about even hospitality, or he's talking about being hospitable, or talking about loving strangers, he's talking about loving believers. Loving believers who are strangers. Now what does that mean? Those who are beyond our circle of friends. That's not easy. You say, oh, yes, it is. Really? How much are you doing it? It goes beyond. Now, first of all, let me just address this. I've taught on this before, but it's important with the context. Is it wrong to have a circle of friends? Absolutely not. Some believers think that it's absolutely wrong for you to have any, you know, that's favoritism. That's showing uh, favoritism in the body of Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ had an inner group, and he had an inner group within the inner group. That he showed things to. There's nothing wrong with having close personal friends. That is a good thing. But this is also helping us to recognize. That even beyond those that are close to you. Especially in the body of Christ. We are to reach out to those. Who we don't know. Who we don't know. They're strangers to us in a sense. And we all have. Our close friends. And that's okay. This is dealing with believers. That we don't know Or know little of. We should love, listen, we should love to help believers that we don't know. Why? Simply because they're members of the body of Christ. That's it. You don't need any other reason. When you have someone that's professing Christ and they're a genuine believer, you and I ought to be looking for ways to be hospitable, to love them because they're members of the body of Christ, whether they're in with my inner group or they're not. Now, to put it in its context still further, you have to understand how history works with this idea of being hospitable. In the early church, there were no church buildings. There weren't, per se, like we're sitting in right now. And I personally believe that that helped them to understand better what the church was they knew that it was people that it wasn't a building because I remember even growing up as a child unsaved but when we talked about going to church automatically a building came into being and it still does in this century people think of church as a building and it's not it's people and the early church got that so they didn't have places like that and I think it helped them to understand they met in homes for worship and for time's sake, I'll just give you some references. In Romans chapter 16, Paul was commending those who opened up their home for church services, as we would talk about it, but for the, basically for the local body to come together to meet. They didn't have church buildings. Uh, so we see that. And by the way, let me also make this comment. Today there's a movement to get back to that. Why? Why? God's provided the church building, stop complaining about it and get there and meet and get involved. And I personally believe that if they had the buildings, they would have met back then. The evidence is they had some people who had bigger homes and they met there. It's just what God has provided for structures today. And the, another uh, uh, point on that is even as the synagogues, they met in the synagogues. That wasn't in the Old Testament. But they accepted it, and they met there, and they gathered there for worship. Today, there's this movement to go back to because nobody likes the local church. All these things that are wrong with the local church. The local church is you, so if it's wrong, it's you that's wrong. It's people that are wrong, not a building. We lose that perspective, and I don't believe they lost that. So they understood what it was to get together. Further, they didn't have what we know as modern... Motels or hotels, they did have inns, but the inns were few and often they were very crowded. From the reading I did, and many times were unsafe, especially for believers. One of the readers that I uh, I read on that uh, that was his focus was especially for believers. The inns were not, and so they were also expensive, so they couldn't afford to go there. And so, what did you have? You had believers who needed hospitality. Believers who needed help that would be traveling. Lydia, go with me to Acts chapter 16 just to look at the one example. Just one example. In Acts chapter 16, Lydia was one of the people who did that. Acts chapter 16, verse 15, just quickly. And when she and her household had been baptized, so baptism should follow salvation, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord... Come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. That is the idea of what we're talking about here. She didn't really know them. She got saved. She was, they were new, but they were members of the body of Christ. There was a common bond. She had a house, and she took them in. And Paul benefited by that. And so we might even ask now back in 1 Peter, is there any relevance in this text to us at all? Maybe this is irrelevant because they didn't have church buildings, and they didn't have motels. So when he's talking about that, it, this is a situation where people were just passing through, so they would take them in, and uh, they would meet at home, so maybe there's no relevance. I don't think that that is true at all. I think there's a lot of relevance. Why? Let me fire a bunch of scripture verses at you. Turn with me to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. In Luke chapter 14, verses 12 to 14. I'm going to fly. It says, and he also went on to say to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, don't invite your friends. That's still the tendency that we have today, our inner circle. or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, otherwise they may also invite you in return and that you will be Will be your repayment. And we have to be honest. Have you ever done that? You invite somebody over, then if you don't get invited to their house, it's like, I wonder what was wrong with them. They never invited me. I invited the pastor over five times. He's never invited me over to his house once. What's the matter with him? Why? We're looking for something in return. That's really the practicality of what he's dealing with. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you. And so there's the concept, even in the Gospels, of reaching out. You say, but Pastor Dan, you said to the body of Christ, okay, now turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12. Stay with me. Romans chapter 12, verse 13. And here, by the way, is a long list of things. I'll go back to verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. That's fervent love. And then he goes on, he starts listing things. Verse 12, he says, rejoicing in hope. Verse 13, contributing to the needs of the who? Saints. Practicing what? Hospitality. There it is again. It's the same idea. I am to love strangers. Where? In the body of Christ. I am to be reaching out to them. That's New Testament. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Does this have any relevance to today at all? Yes, it does. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Let love of the brethren continue. There it is again. Do not neglect what? To show hospitality to strangers. For by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember the prisoners and those in prison with them. And those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves also are in the body. That's pretty practical stuff. And by the way, that's why I read with Abraham. Abraham was a case. Because Abraham, when he entertained, how did he entertain? He entertained two angels and the Lord himself. We know that from the context. Three people came to him as men. He saw them as men. Just ran out to them. He entertained them. He ended up entertaining two angels and the Lord, Jesus, and the Lord himself. Amazing. That's kind of what Hebrews is talking about. But he says to entertain. Was it practiced? Yes. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Let me give you a practical example of it. This is just so you see that it is relevant. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Let me just go down to verse 16. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus. Why? For he often refreshed me. This is the Apostle Paul. He was not ashamed of my chains, but when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. The Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well what services he rendered in Ephesus. Here was a man who reached out, and you say, well, it didn't use the word hospitality there. There's an example of it. He reached out and met the needs of Paul. He took Paul in. He visited Paul. He spent the time. If you were to look at, and I won't for time's sake, but 1 Timothy and Titus, it is a requirement of elders to be hospitable, to reach out to those who they don't know. That's why one of the things that we try to do in this ministry, and sometimes, yes, to be honest with you, we neglect some other folks, but we try to reach out to those who are either new or those who have specific needs and, and, and to reach out to them in that way. That's a requirement of leadership. And if it's a requirement of leadership today, there's a lot of practical application. So I would say this is relevant to today. We should be looking for ways in which we can reach out and help the body of Christ. How are we doing? Today we have to be careful. Isn't that true? Why? Because unfortunately there's a lot of predators. And they happen in churches all around the world. There are predators. For example, we're supposed supposed to be a church that opens our doors, and we do, to people coming in. And someone can come in, walk into the church. We don't know who they are, and they could be a predator. And we have to be careful. So how do you have this balance? That shouldn't stop us from doing what Christ has commanded us to do. When you sense something is wrong with somebody, by the way, and you sense there's something really wrong, don't suppress that. Be careful with it. We need to do that. But we should use some common sense. We have to have concern. That's why we have Cory's here, to assure you that the people that are working in the nursery and working with children have had Cory background checks. We think that's a, a practical thing to do. But our concern should be, how can we reach out to other believers, particularly those who are in need, that they're not in my inner circle, but they're parts of the body of Christ, To be honest with you, we don't even take the time to try to look at that often. We're not even sensitive to those who are. I would find it very fascinating if I carried out this exercise, which I will not do. But I would say this, that you would probably expect of me as a pastor that I would know and that when the elders are reviewing the congregation, no name should come up that I don't at least know something about them. Let me give you a challenge without following through to make you do it. I wonder if I tested everyone on this side, my left side right now, and asked them how you know the people on this right side. How well do you know them? What their needs are? And I did it in reverse. The people on the right. These, this is the local body of Fellowship Bible Church. These aren't in my local uh, knit group. Okay, do you go to their house? Do you find out what their needs are? Or are you just so busy? You see, this idea of fervent love is I am sensitive to members of the body of Christ and what's going on. There are others in this church who are very sensitive to that and behind the scenes are really ministering to people. Really ministering to people that are in need. There are many practical ways that we can reach out. And we can exercise hospitality. I find it fascinating. For example, missionaries. Yes, we can. I am dumbfounded in a church our size when missionaries come and visit. And we have lists that are posted now through the Internet that need a lunch, that need a dinner, that need to be housed in a congregation of this size. And by the time the missionary comes here... I am still notified that, Pastor Dan, we still have three openings because nobody will open their home for lunch or take them to lunch or do whatever. How is that possible if we're really looking out? There's a very practical way. You say, well, I don't want to stay, put them in my home because my home is, is, you know, it's not the real nice home. Has the Lord provided for you? Do you really think that that missionary or the person passing through is going to be that way? And if they are, then they don't deserve to come back. I remember early on when we were involved with the IFCA and we had the conventions that were going on, going up to a home in May in Maine. And that's what a, this family was—a very good family. But they said they couldn't open up their home because they just felt it was too cluttered and everything else. And I said, "You're missing out on an opportunity because of that." Next time we had a conference up there, they opened up their home. The missionary had a great time. They actually slept in a cot on the porch. But the missionary had a great time. And the family was blessed. This practical thing. Missionaries coming through. New believers. When's the last time that you saw a new believer in this church and you reached out to try to get to know them? Can I get together with you? Well, that's the elder's job. No, it isn't. It's the body of Christ. We need to get to know one another. We need to find out. And we know that we're personal. So sometimes when you... Want to get to know someone? They're whoa. What do they want to know about me? And I don't want to let them know too much, you know. Because they know too much about me, I'm in trouble, right? And there's there's a certain degree of that. We understand that. It's practical, but we have some believers in this room that are out of work. We have some believers in this room that are struggling in their marriages, that are struggling in their personal lives, that are struggling with uh, certain sins that they are really battling with, and and we need one another. We need to get involved. Teachers, you send your children to some of the teachers in junior church and other teachers here, when's the last time you ever even invited a teacher to get to know them? You know, it's interesting. This is, an, and I meant by the way of an encouragement, even though it might not be coming across that way, to have us get involved. You know, we know that the elders should be getting involved Do you know that the scriptures command the believers to get to know your elders? When's the last time you had an elder over to your home? Not them having you over, but you had them to get to know how you can pray for them, to get to know what you can do for them. And the elders didn't ask me to plug that, by the way. It's just a reality. You see, this concept of being friendly, this concept of loving strangers, is talking about the body of Christ. We, if God has brought us together to worship together, we want to be together. We want to know one another so we can pray effectively for one another. So we can encourage one another. So that when things come up, I had a conversation just this past week. It was with a believer. And the believer was talking to me about a, a certain situation. And here's what I said to the per, And the person said, wow, if that's really, and I said, stop. I said, I know this person you're talking about. And I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. That's exactly what I said. I said, because I don't know the circumstances in this, but what I know of this person, I know their integrity. That person stopped talking. Why? What I'm saying about the more we get to know one another, that's what helped me. My knowing this individual, rather than listen to what was about to take place and go down a whole different stream, I was able to stop that because I said, wait a minute. This is another believer, and I know that believer, and I know what this believer has done before. I don't believe that until I know the facts. The conversation was done. It only comes when you get to know one another. It only comes when you get to speak with one another. How often are we doing that? I want you to know that it says here, without complaint. Isn't that what it says? We had to be hospitable to one another without complaint. Oh, I guess I have to host another missionary. Oh, I guess I now have to open my home to some people, or I have to now go around and ask people how they're doing, or whatever. I guess I got to do that. Says without complaint, <laughs> not with that long face. Why? Because of our love for Christ, because of our love for the body of Christ, because of our love for one another. And another reason I went back to Abraham is I think he is the example of how hospi- hosp- hospitality, excuse me, should work. You remember what he did? Anybody? When he saw them coming, he ran. He wasn't asked by his wife or anybody else. That's really reaching out to strangers. Now, I understand the customs back then. But I want you to notice, he was a man, a very wealthy man, a man that God had moved out of the country and everything else. But when he had the opportunity, he ran and he was eager. They didn't ask for a meal They didn't ask to stay, but he was making the arrangements with eagerness. That's the idea without complaining. Onesiphorus that I turned to, he didn't have to be asked. He knew that Paul had some needs, and he was there. And he wasn't looking at, well, if I help, and I visit Paul in prison, and if I help him out with his needs, he had better do the same for me. No, he was serving the body of Christ. And the next area that we're going to get into when we get into gifts here as we're going to walk into it, we're going to see how important it is that we are to have that love. So what is fervent love? Covers a multitude of sins. What's fervent love? It has a love for strangers in the body of Christ. And we should have that. We should have that for one another. We should want to know who the believers are that we're worshiping with, and we should want to know all about them. And I'll just open up the next one. The third one is, he says this. Verse 10. As each one has received a special gift employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Serving. Serving one another. That's what we are to do, serve one another. This opens up the idea of gifts and spiritual gifts per se. Now by the way the special the word special If you have a New American Standard, that's in italics. This is dealing with gifts. It's dealing with grace gifts. But basically what I want you to get this morning is the concept of serving. Spiritual gifts have caused no end of confusion, no end of controversy in the body of Christ. There is controversy. Let me give you an idea. Get your appetite ready. There is controversy among evangelicals, among fundamentalists, among Pentecostals, Charismatics, Reformed theologians in this area of gifts. What the gifts are, which ones do I have, whether I should pray for it or not pray for it, which ones have ceased, which ones continue, how do we know they continue, how do we know they ceased, how can I tell the difference between a natural talent, a spiritual gift, on and on it goes. Are those practical? Have you ever had those struggles? I think we do. And it brings controversy. The list of questions could go on. My purpose is not to answer every one of those questions, but rather to state, first of all, and explain what this text is and to state some general things that we do know about spiritual gifts. And I am going to, because of the time, not have the time to open it all up today. And I will finish this passage, Lord willing, next week. But I will start with this. As far as what we know about gifts, it all starts with salvation. That's where it starts. You know what? Everything is a gift from God. The very fact that you are alive. I want to tell you something that's true in my personal life, and I hope I will never forget it. Some of you know that I jog, and I use that time for prayer. One of the things that I personally thank the Lord for, and I would say it's probably been most every day of my life since I've been saved. I still do it every day is I thank him that I'm alive. That he allowed me to be born. Because that's a gift. I thank the Lord that he allowed me to be born in the United States of America. In spite of all that's going on. I could have been born in some other country, someplace, and so could you have. That's a gift of God. I thank God every day that by his grace he saved me. I don't know where I would be. I was yesterday at a uh, graduation party, and uh, yesterday afternoon. And as I was at that party, someone wanted to introduce me to somebody, and a couple of people. So I said, "Fine." I came in and introduced, got introduced, but you know. The sad part of it was I get to meet these family members, but they reflected back on my, believe it or not, my high school career in this area. And it reflected back because these people knew, I didn't even know them that well at all. But the reason I'm even mentioning this, they went back and started to reflect on, do you remember, they said, do you remember this game in which there was a brawl in the stands and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And I said, yeah. I do, because I was in the middle of it. And they said, "I remember the stands, and they were pulling the players off." Were you the one on the? Bo-? I said, "I was the one on the bottom." Of it. And and that's and why I'm even bringing that up to that just happened yesterday. And then uh, and now these people know that I'm a pastor, and life got changed. Where would I be if God had not saved me? I have no idea. No idea. That's why I thank God. It's a gift. And I want to end on that point tonight because we're going to get into the spiritual gifts and we're going to talk a little bit about that in this context because he tells us that we ought to be serving. And I want to leave you with that. That first of all, to come to know Christ is a gift. Jesus Christ offers salvation. You know, I talked about the building. Some of you maybe have been coming to a building for 50 years. Fellowship Bible Church, this building or the other one. And you still haven't accepted the free gift of salvation. Some of you might be coming here because it's a religious thing to do on Sunday morning. Or you're trying to get right with God or you want to study the Bible and and know a little bit. Those are good things, but salvation is the gift of God. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And the reason I thank God for salvation every day and I went into that is because it was by God's grace that I get saved. And if you're not saved this morning, the only way you will get saved is by the grace of God. Not by any effort that you will do. Not by going to any church. Not by being baptized. Not by reading your Bible. But by accepting God's sacrifice because you are a sinner as we opened up with. All men. There's none that are without sin. Christ died to pay the price and penalty. That's why he suffered death. And God's wrath has been satisfied. Through faith in him, you can have the gift of eternal life. But let me just turn to close with this and our attention in the text. Are we serving one another? Christ's example in washing the disciples' feet was to show us an example of how we ought to serve one another. We should be serving one another as a body of Christ. And we're going to get into that gift of serving. We're going to talk about gifts. But are we serving? Where are you serving? Who are you serving? Who am I serving? Myself? Who are you serving? Yourself? Who are you with? Your own group of friends all the time? Or are you reaching out beyond that because you love Christ and you love his body? And you want to serve others and that's why you want to be hospitable. I want to know others needs so I can really reach out because they belong to Christ. And that's how the body's supposed to function. We're gonna get into that with the gifts. And I love fervently. I don't just say I love, but I express it so that when the personal hurts come my way, I'm able to put them away. Remembering I've hurt people the same way. My God help us. Right here, at Fellowship Bible Church, not even outside the doors, to love one another and love those who are outside of the doors who love Christ, they may not be exactly crossing the T's and dotting the I's the way we are, but they have a need, and we need to reach out to them too. Because that's the way Christ loved us, and that's how the body of Christ is supposed to function. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you for Peter. He used that man greatly. He... So often put his foot in his mouth, jumped to conclusions, was eager to do things, and then failed. He continued to use him over and over again. And Father, used him to help calm the church who was in the midst of persecution and confusion, helped them even in our text to understand that we are to love one another in fervent love, that we are to keep our thinking clear in the midst of chaos. And you helped him to show others how they needed to reach out to the body of Christ. And to be a lover of strangers. Simply because they were members of the body of Christ. Help us in this church to function that way. Help us to be involved with one another. To be willing to give our lives not just to our own personal time and our own personal friends. But to those who have the needs. Help us to be sensitive. To reach out. Help us father to serve one another with gladness help us not to be complaining as we serve complaining as we reach out with hospitality but help us to do it with joy because we're serving you thank you for this time i pray you'd help us to apply it just very weak in each one of our lives we ask in christ's name amen